Ahoy hoy, all you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and welcome back to the Everybody Trades Podcast. And yes, I know, I know, I know what you all really want from me. You want me to just tell you when to buy, when to sell, and you want them to all go up in terms of stocks. Hey, no problemo, right? Well, naturally, naturally, that is unrealistic. No one is that smart, not even me. So you know what? I told you to buy Coinbase a month or two ago, and so far that's not looking that great. I myself am down on Coinbase. Gosh, let's let's give it a check here real quick. Oh, what percentage am I down on Coinbase? Yeah, about 22%. So, you know, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye, but not by much right now. But you know what? Honestly, let's just hang in there on Coinbase as we've seen, all of cryptocurrencies have had a bit of a correction here the past month or two, including my beloved Bitcoin. Honestly, I think this is a buying opportunity in Bitcoin. Just hold on to it for the long term. Again, I look at it as a hedge against the U.S. dollar. So don't make it too big of a percentage of your portfolio. No more than 5% or so. But long term, I still believe in Coinbase. And even more so, I believe in Bitcoin. So there's your market update. But you know what? On this episode of the podcast, I actually want to focus on something a little bit different than I usually do here on Everybody Trades, and that's making a direct appeal to Trump voters. And more specifically, I think Trump voters need to join the Libertarian Party, because quite honestly, the Republican Party wants nothing to do with you people. And even more importantly than that, Ever since Joe Biden was officially put in office back in January, it's now been a few months of the Biden administration. We're about to enter June here on this Memorial Day. Well, what exactly does the Republican Party stand for? What has been their biggest issue of the past few months? I'll pause here for a second and allow you a little moment to think about it. Okay, I've given you some time. Have you come up with anything yet? Yeah, I haven't really come up with a whole lot either. Now, it seems to me, if I'm being perfectly honest, that the GOP platform for the last few months and really anything that isn't Trump, it's basically been, hey, Iran, they're bad. They're a bad regime. We need to maybe consider stepping up our war game against Iran. Also, same deal with Syria. Ooh, that basher al-Assad, what a horrible guy, yada, yada, yada. And then more recently, as the Israeli and Palestinian conflict flares up once again, well, obviously the GOP is being very full-throated in their support of Israel militarily and basically just calling anyone who disagrees with their statement an anti-Semite, a person who is racist against Jews for all intents and purposes. Now, here's the thing. I have a lot of opinions about all of this stuff, and I'm an ardently anti-war kind of person. And one day very soon, I'm going to make a video, a podcast, maybe a series of videos and podcasts about exactly why I am anti-war from the perspective of, frankly, a Trump-type voter. So I'm not going to be appealing to pacifists, essentially. I'm going to be appealing to people who are very brass tacks and also from the perspective of somebody who's a a very staunch defender of gun rights and the Second Amendment as well. So look for that in the future. But for the purposes of this particular episode of Everybody Trades, my point is 
let's just take Israel and Palestine real quickly. Well, America, as in the United States government, has been trying to inject itself and its power into this conflict for decades. And yet here we are. Again, the conflict remains. So to your average voter, your average citizen who doesn't pay an incredible amount of attention to stuff happening overseas, well, this just seems like business as usual. So to your average American, it doesn't really seem like the Israeli-Palestine conflict has a big effect on their everyday lives. So why am I, as an American voter, who maybe has my own problems that, as far as I can tell, have nothing to do with Israel and Palestine, why does that compel me to vote for you? Well, frankly, it doesn't. And i got to believe that if Donald Trump had not won the GOP nomination all the way back in, what, 2016, I don't think – I promise you Hillary Clinton would have won in 2016. There is no Republican who had the support that Donald Trump had, the passionate support that Donald Trump had. Whether you love him or hate him, I think you have to, to admit that, right? And a big part of that was messaging. Because Donald Trump wasn't going around talking about the Israeli-Palestine conflict or Bashar al-Assad, a guy that most people in America couldn't pick out of a police lineup. No, he was talking very specifically in a broad sense, I guess, about making America great again. Now, clearly, make America great again is one of the most effective political slogans of all time because the people that it worked for the people that it appealed to well obviously that just whole idea of yeah let's let's make america great again that obviously had tremendous appeal to donald trump voters and then on the other side of the equation the people that hated donald trump well the idea of make america great again drove them insane they thought what are you talking about We're progressives. We've made progress in this country. There can't be anything bad about what we've done. And what are you talking about? You want to go back to Jim Crow and pre-civil rights and all this stuff? That's what they thought Make America Great meant. And just in full disclosure, I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016 or in, in 2020. Neither time did I vote for Trump. But I'm also not here to parody Trump voters, if you are a Trump voter yourself, I'm not here to call you a racist just because you voted for Donald Trump or just because you may have worn a MAGA hat a time or two. That is utterly simplistic. Just to call everybody who appealed, who Trump appealed to just some racist moron is just completely simplistic. I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense. You see, the reason that Make America Great Again appealed to people is really obvious to me. No, it's not, hey, let's go back to Jim Crow. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. There is not enough people in this country who want to go back to a Jim Crow-type society that that would have actually been a rallying cry that would have been effective. In fact, it would have backfired. If that was really the message, that kind of thing would backfire in the year 2016 in America. In fact, the appeal of Make America Great Again was quite simple. It's, hey, why is everything being made in China now, or just in general? What happened to America actually manufacturing its own products? Why are so many people unemployed in this country? 
Why are so many young men sitting on their couches and essentially wasting away and doing drugs and that kind of thing? What's happened to our society? Why are divorce rates skyrocketing? Why are single-parent households skyrocketing? Why does education, why does our children's education seem to get worse with each passing generation? That's all, these are all very fair questions to ask. And that is, I think, at the heart of why Make America Great Again appealed to a huge chunk of this country. Now, of course, if we really break down what MAGA not only means, but what people thought that it meant, what did they take from it? Well, I think there's a couple questions you have to ask yourself. First of all, do you, do you agree with the premise? Is America great? Was America great? Can it be great again? Well, then second of all, the obvious question is, if you do accept, accept the premise that America is or was great, well, what made it great? What is it that makes America different and unique from all the other countries and societies that have existed before it and continue to exist today? You see, that, to me, is occasionally where the modern-day Republican Party and, quite honestly, Republican voters get lost is they think what makes America great is essentially imposing their vision of the world on Americans. Essentially doing what the left does in terms of authoritarianism from the right. But no, in fact, it's not about centrally planning the perfect society, no matter what your perspective is. For instance, Almost all Republican voters, especially the older ones, tend to support Social Security, for instance. Well, again, social is right in there. That is pure socialism, folks. And yet, if you ask those same people if they were for or against socialism or capitalism, well, they would all say they were for capitalism. And yet, Social Security somehow, well, even though the government is literally taking money from one person and giving it to another, somehow that's not Social Security because, what, we've all paid into the system? That's not socialism, I should say. Anyway, that's, to me, the point. It's not about authoritarianism that makes America great. It's about liberty. Yes, it's about freedom. It's about telling the British tax authorities to go pound sand. That's what made America great. It's we got away from central authorities. We got away from the crown. But unfortunately, what has now happened in this country is we are so centrally planned from D.C. that, in fact, the European Union is actually a more free society than, than the United States at this point. And if you're going to argue with me on that, well, I have a checkmate for you. It's called Brexit. There is not a state in the Union that could do what Great Britain did and peacefully exit the United States without consequence. It would not happen. In fact, the Civil War has already quite clearly started that precedent. There's no way you can argue with me on that. If Missouri attempted to secede from the Union, not only would there be political sanctions and economic sanctions and all kinds of stuff, I really think there would be a military consequence and response from D.C. I honestly believe that. And it's happened before. Again, just look at the Civil War. And really, to put an even finer point on it, how about these lockdowns, huh? How about the fact that essentially the United States has locked down the entire country, various different 
municipalities and states have gone along with it. Basically, we've, we've formed into a totalitarian state at a certain point. And if you think that's an exaggeration, I don't know how much more totalitarian you can get than turning on your television and say the state of California and waiting to hear if you're allowed to go outside and go to school and gather an X amount of, of, of people and groups and, and literally saying, hey, you can't go to church today because of a virus. I mean, if that's not totalitarianism, I don't know what is. And of course, while the Democrats, they cheered all of this on, they thought this was all normal, just basically good following of the science. Well, the Republicans, while they would occasionally bring up a the occasional skepticism here or there, for the most part, the Republican Party was totally useless during this period of time. And quite honestly, I thought Donald Trump completely dropped the ball on this lockdown stuff. At first, he was really squishy on the whole thing, just kind of following along with Fauci, following along with the crowd. And if he would have, from the very beginning, again, not dismiss the virus, but just dismiss the idea of massive lockdowns as a way of of solving this thing, of unending indefinite lockdowns, if he would have been against that full-throatedly from the very start, I really think he wins the election in 2020. And I think his refusal to do so probably cost him the election in 2020 as well. And if I'm also being honest, there's also the idea that what what was the sequel to Make America Great Again, by the way? It seems like I don't even remember what his slogan was for 2020. Again, make America great again. We all remember that. Well, what was the slogan in 2020? Was it, let's keep making America great again? I I honestly don't remember what it was. So you went from one of the great campaign slogans of all time, a very focused yet general idea of, hey, let's bring jobs essentially back to America for, for among other ideas, to part two, which, you know what, the sequel is rarely as good as the original. So, I don't know. Let's keep making America great again. It just didn't have have the same energy to it. And also, the truth is, while Donald Trump, his rhetoric was often very, very unconventional for, for D.C., well, he actually had a fairly conventional presidency when you get down to it. For all his talk of, oh, I'm going to drain the swamp and do this and do that, well, it sure seems to me like the swamp is still very much intact. During the Trump years, heck, government spending was actually even higher than it was during the Obama years. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but I'm almost certain that's true. Because guess what? That's the trend. Spending was higher under Bush than it was in Clinton. Obama was higher than that. Then Trump was higher than him. And guess what? Biden is on track to surpass the spending during the Trump years as well. That's just the way it goes in Washington. And yes, this is ultimately this is this is the fault of Congress. I can't disagree with that. Once again, don't forget that if you're a Trump supporter, you supported him because you wanted something different. Deep down you knew that your current representatives in the Republican Party weren't conserving anything. In fact, they were just letting the left, the Democrats, essentially take over all of Washington and keep moving the ball that way. Just over time, the ball always moves more and more to the left, more and more to government centralization. 
you have to know that Mitch McConnell is part of the swamp at this point, for example. Almost everybody in the Republican Party, they might pretend like every once in a while when it's beneficial for them, yeah, we're fighting against the Democrats, we're fighting against the D.C. swamp. I promise you Mitch McConnell is every bit as much a part of the swamp as any member of the squad, for example. So while the Libertarian Party is definitely not perfect, I don't have, I have my own personal qualms with the Libertarian Party at times. The biggest one is, again, I thought this whole lockdown period, I thought the party itself was not nearly aggressive enough in saying, hey, we're against this. We're the party of liberty. The Republicans, the Democrats, they may be okay with this, but we're the Libertarian Party, and we believe in individual liberty and freedom, and people being able to make their own choices when it comes to safety. But again, since the party did not do that, I think they missed maybe the biggest opportunity they've ever had to grab sort of your average, everyday American voter. Because there's a lot of people who questioned the efficacy and the sanity of this whole period. Believe me, and the idea that the Libertarian Party, being a third party, by the way, that has, what, 1-2% support out there, that was an opportunity for them to grab voters. So you might be thinking, well, if they're that worthless during the lockdowns, then why should I join the party now? Good question. And I have asked myself that question, too. But I'm putting down my money, and I'm joining the Libertarian Party via the Mises Caucus, and I really encourage all of you to do the same, because when we do that, we have a voice in the party. We can make this party what we want it to be. And because, frankly, there aren't that many Libertarians, well, all of us can have an outsized voice in what happens here. I think we can all agree that the Democrat way of life, if you're still listening to this and you're a Trump supporter, I'm sure you can, you can agree with me that the Democrats, we don't want their vision of the world for the most part, right? But the Republicans aren't any better. They're certainly not fighting against it. They're just going along to get along for the most part so they can be invited to all the best cocktail parties and occasionally somebody will say something nice about them in the Wall Street Journal. Well, I don't really care about any of that. I care about my life, the life that my children are going to have, and just everyday people, not only Americans, but throughout the world. I care about just everyday people. I don't care about the power grabbers and the bureaucrats. To heck with what they want. We need actual wins for liberty. And not just in elections, not just the occasional, you vote for an R every four years. No, we need meaningful political victories. Because otherwise, once again, the ball will just long-term keep advancing down the field in the direction of force of the force collective, coercion, socialism, whatever you want to call it. So again, while you may think, gosh, joining the Libertarian Party, that may be a bit of a long shot. Well, I promise you, I promise you, the Republicans have done nothing to conserve what you love about this country, especially liberty, and they're going to continue to do so. Because, frankly, they're feckless, and they just they, they have power. They get money. It's become, like a, it's become a, a career at this point. It's become a full-time career for these people and a big money bag. That's all it is. The, these people don't care about what you care about. They care about staying in power and keeping the gravy train running. Well, you know what? I care about liberty. 
and what made America great in the first place and what will make it great again is individuals being empowered to do what they want with their property, their time, and indeed their lives and their sacred honor. So with all that being said, hope you all have a happy Memorial Day today. And until next time, I am John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades. Thank you.